0: welcome to the mikvah.org podcast the mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for jewish family life since 1975 5735 you can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording
1: Okay, good evening, ladies. On behalf of Ten yards and mikvah.org, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. This evening is dedicated to the Shlishim, the Missus Sima Karpala Sholem, Sima Basra Mordechai Akain, Mir Neshama Havan I We also want to dedicate this evening to Rufo Sholema, for Chava Gota, you can join me Ashlochah was once planning an event about women connecting to Hashem through the holy mitzvah of Mikvah. She was doing some research and came across an Instagram post by a Crown Heights woman who shared the following short story. One day a woman walked into my flower shop, and while chatting with her, we got into a brief conversation about mikvah. I began to tell the woman how much I appreciate all the benefits and advantages that keeping Tara Samashbacha brings into a marriage. It gives the woman her space, how the feelings of anticipation really enhance the relationship. This woman she was talking to happened to have been Sima. Sima listened patiently and then responded with a smile, all these facts are true, however, they aren't really the reasons why we need to keep this mitzvah, but rather it is a commandment of Hashem, and by keeping Hashem's mitzvahs, this is the way we connect with him. This personifies who Sima really was, a woman with such clarity and MS. On that note, I want to introduce our first speaker for tonight, Mrs. Batya Rosenblum, the Shluchat Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Batya has been teaching Kalas for over 25 years and will share with us some insights into the beautiful mitzvah of Tara Samishvacha. So without further ado, Is that good? Yeah. Okay. So good
0: evening to everyone. And um, first of all, to start off, that uh, as we share these words, it should help bring Nechama to her husband and to her family and to extended family and friends and committee members. And uh, the goal for tonight is that we learn together. and We inspire one another with the theme of a Tena tein alibay. On a personal note, Sima was actually a counselor for my parents in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I wanna put in parentheses here, something that um, during the shiva for my mother, several of the counselors that came either with her or another year um, came over to me and mentioned to me that it was amazing the effect that my mother had on them as young girls um, watching how My mother was raising her children and being busy with the shluchos and helping out in camp. Mary, I don't want them to see that it's
1: you because you only allowed a girl. And it was. One second, I'm sorry. Could you unmute? Yeah,
0: so. It was something that left a very strong impression on them as girls at the time. And so as we're, Hashkacha Pratis, this is right before camp and many camp girls, many of our girls are leaving to camps. And so to all the camp directors, day camp, overnight camp, summer programs, it's amazing what an effect you can have on girls um, while they're with you. It's more than what you say, it's what they see you doing. Joy, excitement, a ball of fun, full of life. That's many ways of how Simo is described. And uh, tonight's event, as you know, is, is organized by Tenyad. Simo is one of the founding members. And Tenyad so lovingly and respectfully makes sure that every kala has what they need to begin their married life. Again, just to put something personal in here, that is that the last um, visit that I had with my mother, being able to communicate with her It was just about a week before the Tanyad auction. And um, she asked me to help her with her tickets. And so as she sat on the recliner, quite weak, um, she had her auction booklet all marked off and the tickets that she wanted to give for each, you know, um, how many to each prize. And um, if she won this, it was gonna be for her teenage grandchildren. If it was this, it's furniture, it's for her son who's moving to a new house and little kids clothes is for someone who's having a baby. So um, it was something very dear to her heart. And I understand that during during Seema's illness, her fellow committee members wanted to do something for her refuel and they received answers um, from the rebbe's Igris related to Tara HaMeshpacha. So several of those classes were arranged jointly with mikveh.org, which is the incredible organization that promotes things related to Tara HaMeshpacha including their Akala teacher training course, which I have been privileged to be part of. So tonight, I want to share a couple of thoughts on the mitzvah of Tara HaMishpacha, some insights. And the hope is that if we can um, gain some inspiration in that area, put a little more excitement and enthusiasm in our observance of this mitzvah, it will take some of the highest with which Sima lived her life and channel into this mitzvah. We'll certainly be doing the concept of ha-chayitena Libai. So I just want to begin with saying a special thank you to someone who helped me out on this journey from the very beginning, and that is Mrs. Blumi Rosenfeld, who I learned so much from, and from the many teachers and speakers and classes over the years, including, of course, those of mitzvah.org and the call Teacher Training Course. So by way of introduction, the mitzvah of Taras ha-mishpacha, we take a look at Shir HaShirim, which is the ultimate love song between Hashem and Bnei Yisroel. It's interesting that, Shir Hashirim begins with Shir Hashirim Lishlaima, written by Shlaima Hamelach. We know that Shlaima Hamelach wrote several svarim, but this is the only one that he penned his name to. Shir Hashirim Lishlaima, and one of the messages is: If you want to know how to re- to achieve true from the lashon of Shlaima of Shlemas, true completion and true shalom, true peace, look carefully at the words of Shir Hashirim. They are an example of the, the relationship that Hashem has with Bnei Yisrael as mirrored by the, the uh, relationship between husband and wife. And it's interesting, we're coming straight from the, the days of Svira, Rabbi Akiva says, Amar Rabbi Akiva, kol ksuvim all of the writings are holy. V'shir hashem Kadesh Kadeshem. But shir is the holiest of all. So we see in the relationship, in the marriage relationship, there's so much holiness here, and let's take a little look into it and um, find some of that out. When we talk about the shalom in marriage part, we know that shalom bias is paramount, and um, it says that when the Ebushar was looking for a keli to pour his brachas into lay matzah, he didn't find anything greater than that of shalom. And the Rebbe writes in his letters that, within the different kinds of shalom, between neighbors, between friends, between coworkers, shalom bias is the greatest of all. And we have an example for this when it comes to the halacha of the mezuzah. Usually in halacha, things are either tahar or tamay. It's like black and white. It's not like a little bit this, a little bit like that. The halacha is pretty definite. And yet when it comes to the mezuzah, we have something very interesting. There were two opinions, one that it should be vertical and one that it should be horizontal. And we see that the, the actual halacha is that it's slanted, and that is compromising both of those opinions. And the idea is that when we walk into the Jewish home and we cross that threshold, we pick up our hand, we look upwards to the mezuzah, and we know this is a home that's built on the premise of giving in, of shalom bias, of flexibility. Taras HaMishpacha is the mitzvah that gives us the framework for this mitzvah of marriage. And of course we know that, that there's no magic. It's a huge avodah and it requires tremendous devotion and respect and cure and sensitivity and being tuned into one's spouse. Why is it actually called Taras HaMishpacha? If we look carefully and we know as women, so much of it is about the woman her cycle, her bedikas, her checking, her washing, her tefillah. And yet it's called Taras HaMishpacha. Perhaps Taras HaIsha would have been a little bit more exact. But of course, we know that this is a mitzvah that affects not only the Isha, not only the woman, but also her husband and children and family, and by extension, all those around her. In fact, the Rebbe writes that this is a mitzvah that affects Lidar Darais for all future generations. And the unique property of this mitzvah is that it is retroactive. For someone who never had a chance to learn about it or didn't have or didn't have that opportunity, when they do find out about it and they do learn about this mitzvah, it actually has an effect on the children and even grandchildren that were born beforehand. So I wanna share with you a story of, that happened um, when in our earlier years of shluchos when my husband was giving one of his first classes, there was mention of the mitzvah of mikvah. And he said at the time that if someone's interested in finding out more, they should reach out to me. So um, I got a phone call shortly thereafter from an elderly woman in the class. And she asked me if she can come and speak with me. So we sat together, I remember clearly on my couch. And um, she said to me, you know, Ba'i, I I heard the rabbi mentioning the mitzvah of Mikvah and it really brought back something that's bothering me very much. She said that she grew up in Boston and her grandfather was one of the founding members of the Lubavitch Shiva in Boston, I believe, with Rabbi Cement, And he was close to Rabbi Cement at the time, and um, he developed a relationship with him. And she said, before I got married, my grandfather called me in and said, I have one request. Before you get married, you go to use the mikvah. And she said, I never did it. And I kind of put it behind me. And then I'm listening to your husband at this class and it all of a sudden reminded me of that request of my grandfather. And so we sat and we learned. And on the night that she went, I helped arrange you know, all the details of it. Um, I prepared a beautiful bag with some chocolates or flowers and a card inside. And I said, tonight, your grandfather must be smiling. You are fulfilling that special request. This is a mitzvah that's truly retroact- retroactive. We also know that Taras Neshpacha is a chayik. It's It goes into the category of mitzvahs that we don't understand. And it's interesting because we do it. Of course, there are many, many benefits, but we do it really because it's a chayk and the Eivesther said so. Remember, we're in that relationship, in that Shira ashir relationship, husband and wife relationship. Us, Hashem being the chasen, and us being the Knesset Yisrael being the kala. So in that kind of a relationship, in a marriage relationship, there are things that we do that we may not understand. And we may think doesn't even make sense, or maybe it's a waste of money. But if that's something that our spouse wants and appreciates and would like, that's something that we do. So we don't understand the chukim. We understand the mishpatim. We don't really understand the chukim at all. But we do this because we are in this relationship. And this is a relationship that we just recommitted to, coming on the heels of Shvuas. We, uh, we're coming from, you know, reenacting um Torah, where the Eibishter says, we say by Hashem, um, You chose us from all the nations. And we say, we say this with every bracha that we make, Asher You have sanctified us, Hashem, you sanctify us with your mitzvahs. I'm sorry. Hashem has sanctified us with his mitzvahs. And the same wording is used when the chassan says to his kallah while giving the ring, Hare at mikudeshesli Behold, you, my dear wife, you are sanctified to me. Our relationship is holy and is sacred. And... Hashem chose us, the women, to be the ones to protect and cherish this mitzvah, Tarasa HaMishpacha. It's one of the three, Chala, Nida, and tar-sa, and uh, adlakas Neris. Of all the 613 mitzvahs, Hashem, so to speak, put these three on a silver platter, as if implying, like, I'm giving it to you because I trust you. You, my dear daughters, you have the necessary qualities to protect its sanctity. What are those qualities? Well, primarily those of Sneas and Yerushamayim. And perhaps at times we don't feel so strong in these areas. Sometimes we say, Abishter, I'm not such a Yerushamayim. Nope, the Abishter says, You are. You are the great granddaughters of the women in Mitzrayim, the women who would not fall for the end of Amistral Chas Shalom. They did everything they could to beautify themselves, to continue the nation even when their husbands wanted to give up. You are the great granddaughters of the women in the Midbar. Those women who gave that which is most was most cherished to them, those very mirrors, that's what they brought. And what did the Abish just say about those, Tamasha? Accept them, ki chaviva they're most precious than anything else, all the other donations that came in. And you, my dear granddaughters, you are, coming from the women who displayed utmost faith in my shabenu, and they would not bend towards the Chaita Egel at all. Yes, so at times this mitzvah is challenging and we need to dig very, very deep, but it's in our spiritual DNA. And of course, the many women through generations and through Jewish history who have had such mysterious nefesh to uphold the tower of Am Yisrael. So now let's go through a few points of the mitzvah and just some insights that will um, give us something to spice it up with. We know that the two phases of married life are, one, tahara, which is always synonymous with life, when we're physically available to one another, husband and wife, and tuma, which is synonymous with the absence of life, when there is, as halacha um, gives it, the terminology of a whisper of death with the onset of a woman's cycle. There was potential life, and that was lost. In this case, there's a name for this Tumma, tumas Nida. Now, Nida is rather an interesting word. It's not so common. And where, where, where do we find it? So Nida comes from the Sharish, the root word of nadad, which means to wander. And we have this um, with the punishment that Kayin was given after he killed Hevel. His punishment was na vinud t'yav ba'aretz. kind will be a wanderer. He wouldn't really have a place that was called his own. So let's bring that back to Thomas Nida. Nida from the Sharish of Nadad to wander. Nida is an in-between stage. The woman is so to speak wandering between having been tahar and looking forward to becoming to her again and resuming the beautiful part of the physical relationship that she has. Let's talk for a minute about the importance of the rub. We know every 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 couple should have a rub that they feel so comfortable with and they can ask any shyless that come up. A rub in the area of Taras Mashbaha is an expert in his field. He's trained He's certified, he's sensitive to our feelings and to our situations. David Melech explained, uh, exclaimed that his hands were filled with blood. And we know that David fought many, many wars preparing Eretz Yisrael so that it could be cleared of its enemies and then to build the Beis Megdash, which he so badly wanted to do. And the Eretz said that hands that were filled with blood, could not be the same ones to build the base of Megdash. So Shlaim HaMelch would do that. But some of the Mepharshim point out that when he says his hands were filled with blood, this is actually a different kind of blood. This is Damnida. Imagine David Melchisrol sitting on his throne, answering Shilas to be mitahar Isha Labailah. That shows the greatness and the importance and the Hashivas that's given to each and every shila that's asked. And to always bear, you know, keep that in mind. Another example is that when a Rav looks at a shila, it's approximately the size of the cloth of a smaller mezuzah. And just as the mezuzah is treated with such respect and holiness and sanctity, that is the way the Rav treats each and every Mara that comes in. Each and every Shila is equal to that of the cloth of a Mezuzah. So that's a little bit about becoming Nida, the Rav and the, the role of Tara Now let's take a look at the Harchakais. The Harchakais are the Halachais that dictate the physical behavior between husband and wife during the time of Nida, we know. Now there's a cute joke about when the luchas were broken and all the nations of the world ran to get pieces of the you know the tablets they knew that and many of them got different pieces one said kill one said steal one said adultery and the yidden ended up with don't 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 and don't and sometimes it could seem like a lot of don'ts but it's so important to remember that they just says listen carefully to the and you'll understand what kind of a relationship with our spouse the Torah wants us to create. Also, when we look at the herchakas, it teaches us either how we can develop a closeness with our spouse through each of the five senses. There are halachas that involve the smell. There are herchakas that involve, of course, touch, eating together, hearing. Each of the five senses can, has the, their areas to bring us closer to one another. And that's why during the time of Nida we refrain from that when we don't have that physical outlet. Another example is if we go through a tour of the house in every one of the rooms, whether it's the den, the dining room, the kitchen, and of course the bedroom, each one of the rooms has the ability to bring closeness between husband and wife. And that's why during the time of Harchakas, we are more careful with that. Interesting also that the, the more common word that would be used for separation in Hebrew would be hafradis. Pirud means separation. But that's not the word that's used. The word that's used, as we know, is harchakis. chakas comes from the root word of merchak, which is a physical distance. That is exactly what we're talking about. It's a physical distance during that time, but in all other areas, we should strengthen our connection, emotionally, intellectually, and all other areas as well. And many times when couples wrote into the Rebbe, whether it was shalom Bayes' questions, sometimes it was regarding having children, Many times the Rebbe would write the words Lahader taras to be very Madaic, very specific in the laws of Tara So I want to share with you a story of a couple that um, was observing this mitzvah very well. And after several years of not being benched with children, they wrote into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said to review the halachas of Tara Samashbacha. They reviewed it well, and it occurred to them that they would be each having busy jobs and would come home on Fridays, and especially in the earlier Fridays, and the first thing that they would do is quickly get ready the table and take out the white tablecloth and start to spread it out, both holding onto a side of it. And when they realized that, they knew what needed to be corrected, and baruch Hashem afterwards, they were blessed with a child. Then let's move along to the Shevanechim, a little insight into this. We have the importance of always doing, doing our part and not making what's going to happen. If this is a time for Haf Tara, this is a time for Havsik Tara. Not thinking about what's going to be next, but doing each, each of us doing our part at the right time. There is a story of the wife of the Magad of Mezrich who was very careful to do her part. Um, it was a time when the Magid was physically very ill and could not be um, with his wife and have intimate relations with her. She, however, observed the mitzvah and every month, did her have satara, her nekiyam, prepared for tefillah, and then went to many times break ice or very um, uncomfortable conditions to be able to observe this mitzvah. One time after particularly cold uh, winter, and she broke ice to go into Taival herself. She came home and she fainted. And there was a commotion in the house and uh, the magad asked what was going on. And she did not want them to tell him because he must feel very bad. This is something that he obligated himself to in the Kasuba and here she is doing her part with no reward afterwards. And after convincing and asking again, he was, uh, the magad asked for his wife to be brought to him. And when he found out that this is what she did, he asked, was this the first time that she did it? And she said, no, this has been going on for a while. He was so overcome and had such a Heserurus that physically there was a change in his body and he was able to be with his wife that night. And from that union, Reb Avram the Malach was conceived who later became a Chavrus of the Alter Again. This is a very high level, but the idea of each of us doing our part in this mitzvah. During the Shevan uh, Shivanakiyam, of course, we have the 15 Bidikas. I have Sektara and the two Bidikas each of the seven days. A nice insight is that they, com- they correspond to the 15 Shir Hamalas that are written in Tehillim. And we know that these Shir Hamalis were sang on the steps, the 15 steps that were leading to the uh, Bais HaMegdash, and this is symbolic of the fact that with each of our Bidikas, we are going, so to speak, one step closer to our own Kaidosh to our own physical union when we are going to be reunited in the beauty of our physical relationship with our spouse. And, I believe the Gemara mentions this that what are these seven days given? We know that the bleeding has completely stopped. We have a have sukhtara to prove that. So the words are hasheva yamim nitnu, these seven days were given Almanas in order to endear the husband, the wife in the eyes of her husband, knisasa l'chopa. and she should be as dear to him, she should be as dear in his eyes on the day of tvila the day of mikvah just like the day of the chuppah what a beautiful yearning and longing for one another and then of course we have the joy of and happiness of our physical reunion about the reunion at uh, the night of mikvah and in general the joy that should come according to the torah with our physical relations the Rambam mentions that physical intimacy is Maisa inyan kadish beyisa an extremely extremely holy act. We come together not just as two bodies that are just stuck but rather we unite al pitara bemakhava and bemaysa. Our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions are tuned into one another. And then, and only then, can we unite baguf. We're taught that the, the pleasure that husband and wife have in their physical relations, from that, the eibisha derives pleasure above. And when we think about the example we have in the Qayda of the Kruvim, we have the, the Kruvim each had an image, a male and a female, face image and they were facing each other while they were facing each other they also were facing upward so they were embracing each other and facing upwards when he and she when husband and wife recognize the presence of Hashem above and both are devoted to each other as Hashem wants in this marriage then they're like a triangle which is the strongest geometric shape it's the hardest to topple because of its strong base, when he and she are devoted upwards and they're uniting the way the E-Bishter wants. I want to end with something that I thought was very relevant to this topic and to our situation in general. Circling back to Shira Shirim with which I began, our relationship between Hashem and Bnei Yisrael. So just as the relationship between husband and wife has two phases, the phase of tahara, and the, which is the phase of physical closeness, and the phase of tumah, which is physical separateness. So too, between Bnei Yisrael and Hashem. We have the relationship between Hashem and Bnei Yisrael express itself in the way that when we are closer to Hashem, and I'd like to read these words to you first. It, it says as follows, Chavivin hein Yisrael, how beloved are Bnei Yisroel? She'afal Pi shetmein, even though they are Tame, they are in a state of tumah. Shechina the is with them. Shenemer itam betumasam, as it says that Hashem rests with us in our state of tumah. So there is a time that Hashem is close to us. And that's the state the time of when we have Tara, when we have the G'ula, when we have the Megdash, we have that closeness that we can feel. And then we have the phase of golos when we are impure, when we are not in a state of Tara, and we when we are physically distant from Hashem. And yet. How beloved are Bnei Yisrael to that even when they are in a state of tuma, as we are, Shchina be'nehem, the Shchina is with them. So just as during a time of nida, the the husband is not close to her, but he is with her. So, too, during our time of galos, Hashem is not the closeness that we want and we yearn for, but He is with us. And He is understanding our pain. And He is feeling our tsaras as well. But we say, this is not enough. No, it's not enough for us. Hashem, we need... We need to feel close to you. We need to feel your loving embrace. And we ask that in the this the end of this bitter gallus should already take place so we can feel that with the ultimate geula when we are taught that the abishta will the zarakti aleichem mayim that Hashem will purify us so that we can have that ultimate, ultimate closeness as we learn from this relationship in Shir Hashim of Hashem and Bnei Yisrael, mirroring that, that relationship of husband and wife to have the ultimate closeness that we so, so badly need and so much desire. And may it be speedily the of mamish. Thank you.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Matya. That was so interesting. Very, very inspiring. I would like to introduce our second speaker this evening, Mrs. Esther Lifshitz, the Schlucha, for over 18 years, Boise, Idaho. Esther has to travel 10 hours round trip every time she needs to use the mikveh. And now, Baruch Hashem, they're in the process of building a mikvah of their own. So without further ado.
2: Esther. Thank you. So we had just moved on shleches and this was going to be my very first mikvah trip. We took our two little kids our maybe six or eight week old, and our uh, one and a half year old. And my husband and I made the six hour journey to Salt Lake City. And we'd get there and we're in the parking lot. And I realized that I have a Shyla, So we had to turn around and um, have a bit of a change of plans. And a few days later, we had to make the trip once again. This was my introduction to mikvah and shlichus. So tonight, I was asked to share some personal stories about um, what it's like to go to mikvah on uh, in a place where we don't yet have a mikvah. Um, so I hope to share some of. My stories and some some others, and um, perhaps that will uplift others who, um, you know, may not have the same stories. Um, but I think that each one of us have our own personal stories of mikvah. It doesn't matter if they're seemingly more overtly um, more challenging, and other people. Would hear about them and say, wow, that's really challenging. Well, that's unusual. Or you do that really. Some people's masiras nefesh is very private and nobody knows about it besides maybe you, maybe your husband, or maybe some friends, or maybe the mikvah lady. Um, so I think each of us um, have incredible strength and stories and um, courage in many times that we use the mikvah. When people ask me, where do you go to mikvah? It's really a complicated answer. First, I need to teach them a little bit of geography. It's 350 miles to our nearest mikvah, which is Salt Lake City. It used to be a six hour drive. Now the nearest mikvah is a five hour drive. Actually, it's the same mikvah. It's the speed limit that's changed. You see, I live in Idaho, a fiercely, independent state in the West, in the Wild West. And when they got wind that the federal government wanted to regulate speed limits all over the USA, they preempted it by raising the interstate speed limit from 70 to 80. So now instead of taking six hours, it's five hours. I'm sure they had my for trips in mind. Well, actually, it really depends on the price of tickets. Um, let's just say I'm a familiar face in Los Angeles, in Portland, in Seattle, in Reno, in Las uh, Vegas, in Minnesota and Salt Lake City and many more places. But more than price, the timing counts. This week, for example, the Zman for being able to dip in a mikvah is after 10 p.m. So, For much of the year, a return flight after MCFA is basically not an option. I don't know if any of you have had to sleep with a knife under your pillow. I sure hope not, but I've had to do that on many occasions. Um, Even if it's by car, it's a 12 hour round trip hiring a babysitter for an overnight stay, booking a hotel, juggling Chabadah's commitments for both my husband and myself, and usually arriving home pretty exhausted. The truth is, traveling is tough, but at least the water is warm when I get there. Sometimes I don't even have that luxury. Many times I'm unable to travel due to kids or schedules or programming or whatever it is. So I can't do the um, long trip over to Salt Lake City. Sometimes I'm able to take the hour and a half drive each way to a natural hot springs. Sometimes I don't even get that luxury. Instead it's a plunge into the nearby waters. Got to do what you got to do. I wanted to stop for a moment to point out that whenever somebody has to use a mikvah, that's not your typical mikvah. You need to, one needs to consult with a rav because some natural bodies of water are kosher for mikvah and some are not. Back to the hot springs, which we learned is one of very very few hot springs in our neighborhood that are actually kosher for mikvah because what they've done is many of the hot springs locally they've commercialized into these beautiful um like destinations where you where they've you know pipe they pipe the water and that basically invalidates it for mikvah but um a couple about two or three years ago we found a hot springs that was still in a, its pristine natural state which was really exciting news for us because It meant it was kosher for mikvah. The downside is that it's not commercialized and you really got to get there sometimes in quite a harrowing way. So usually when we go there, when we make the choice to go to that particular mikvah spot, it's like an hour and a half drive through falling rocks and dodging elk in the mountains. And then we arrive at the start of our hike. And this particular hot springs is pretty remote and primitive. It often requires a hike through the snow. It's pitch black and sometimes it's simply inaccessible. I must say that I'm finally able to go into the mikvah. It's very rewarding. My mikvah checklist often includes hiking boots, a flashlight, a headlamp, warm gear and a hat, his second tichel, just in case, change of clothes and anti-nausea pills. I think that my husband, when he got married, was not planning on becoming a mikvah lady, but you gotta do what you gotta do. Definitely makes you appreciate this mitzvah so much more. Then there are times, when we can't make this long drive due to Baruch Hashem, a small baby, which Baruch Hashem we've been blessed with a large family. So many times I cannot make this hike with this new baby or a nursing baby strapped to me in frigid temperatures. So another option we found is a body of water locally. It's not too far from my house, but it's really cold. Sometimes in the summer months, it's not like below zero. It's just, you know, above zero. I don't know how many degrees above zero, but it's above zero. And sometimes this is where I go. It's right here in the city where people usually in daytime take their boats and they bring their boats to the dock and they have a nice uh, afternoon. Little do they know that after 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock, whenever we can finally get out there, that dock is used for very holy purposes with nobody around, hopefully, and it's very dark. And uh, instead of jumping into a boat, it's just jumping into that frigid cold water and um, just, davening that in the schus of this very frigid mikveh, we should experience healthy children and shalom bayis and nachas. That's my private deal with Hashem. I don't know if you're allowed to make such a deal with Hashem, but I have to admit, sometimes I'm down to that deal. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm going to do this. If I have to do this already, this is what I'm going to ask for. I'll do my part, you do yours. Maybe when I get to a high in my Drake I'll be able to really, you know, not even think those thoughts. But meanwhile, this is where I am. Um, as you know, especially lately, I don't know how many of you traveled in the last several months. Travel has become quite um, unpredictable and sometimes crazy, with crazy, unforeseen results. So I'll share a pretty crazy story I had um, during this last year. Um, I traveled to Florida with my husband for a mikvah fundraising event, but little did the people at the mikvah fundraising event know um, that I had scheduled my return trip from Florida to Boise with a very convenient stop in Minnesota for a mikvah stop and um, I thought okay five hours should do the trick my husband on on an earlier flight to get to the kids and I was going to come home that night so I'm shout out to um an amazing shlha there, Nahamadina Feller, who treated me like a queen. She picked me up from the airport. She fed me a gourmet dinner. I did everything I had to do. I get back to the airport, only to find out your flight is canceled. It's a weather-related issue. They're not going to put me up in a hotel. They're not made, they're not being very accommodating. And it's just, you know, hundreds of people who all have the same, you know, issues. Figure out a flight for us. So I got an, an update. We could get you home in two days. There was just a slight problem. In two days was my son's bar mitzvah. So this complicated things a little bit, and there were no flights. My husband was checking incessantly. No flights, no flights, no flights. Everything was booked. Uh, so finally, after several hours of being pretty frantic, this point. He found Baruch Hashem, a flight to Salt Lake City the next morning. I thought, okay, at least I'll get halfway and then maybe I'll rent a car and drive a few hours and I will get home in time for my son's bar mitzvah. So I found a hotel to go to for a few hours and um, came back like uh, 5.30 in the morning, at least have a flight to Salt Lake City. At this time, Hashem, my husband had found after probably staying up half the night, the one last remaining seat from Salt Lake City to Boise. I forgot to mention, traveling with a six-week-old baby. So I get to the airport and I thought I was in a third world country. The entire airport was full of people from the very front door all the way to the ticket counter and all the way to security. I'd never seen this before. Like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get home? And I also needed to do one more thing. I just had to get a boarding pass for my infant. I wasn't able to do it online. Now it's a little bit easier. But the lines were forever. My flight was in one hour. I'm waiting in line, 100 people in front of me. I'm like, oh my goodness, Hashem, I need to get home. I just went to mikveh yesterday. I'm flying home. My son's bar mitzvah. And I asked some people, oh my goodness, I have a baby, please let me to go to the front of the line. And I get to the ticket counter and it's like, the airport is so full. You couldn't find the line, which went where? I'd never seen this before. And I start crying my eyes out. That's why Hashem gave us women the ability to cry. And I'm like, I just have to get home. I had my baby. And and he was so nice. He like says, don't worry, we'll get you there. And there's so many people waiting. He took me. He walked me all the way to security, like in five minutes. And I thought to myself, you know, this wasn't this, this whole trip. And um, who knows, maybe mikveh had to do with it. I don't know, but it was very unusual that I got such amazing treatment and I was able to get home in time because the day before, when I was stuck, there were people literally planning, renting cars to drive two or three days to get to the destinations. It was such a overwhelming, crazy, crazy, crazy situation. And I was able to get home, Baruch Hashem, with about a day and a half to the bar mitzvah and everything was beautiful. So, Sometimes, um, you know, these uh, experiences, I think, just help us really be that much more grateful when we get home and um, appreciate what we have and look at the goodness that we have around us. And um, when we put those in perspective, we feel like, you know, at least I have so much other goodness. So there's a little delay. So there's a little moment, a few moments of frantic craziness, but um, as I said earlier, this element of my shlichas, this, so to speak, this element of schlichas, if you want to call it that, kind of landed in our laps. It's not like we signed up for it. Um, but I think that knowing and remembering how we are on these Massive shoulders of these incredible women who've come before us, as we all know these amazing stories, um, and knowing and having that incredible strength that this is not negotiable, that this is something that will never be up for question. You know whether it's waiting three nights after three night yontif, so to speak, if you have mikvah for the first night and have to travel or something, you gotta wait those three nights. Um, and let's say matay yontif, you can't fly, so you have to wait till the next day. Sometimes it's four nights waiting for mikvah but the incredible deep um, knowledge, that strength that we all carry, it's not negotiable. We're gonna do this. It's so uplifting. It's so, it propels us to such great heights that we will do this no matter what. Um, you know, I could share some other fun stories landing in middle of COVID, I remember in Los Angeles. And I had a baby with me Hashem, and I get to the Los Angeles Chabad Mikfah, and I take my stroller and I bring it down the stairs, you know, I've just traveled. And she says to me, oh, it's COVID, we're getting really, was it right at the beginning? No babies allowed. I'm like, oh, should I send my baby back on the airplane baby on a company minor? They were very nice. Somebody, you know, watch the baby or, um, taking women who come through here, sometimes it's a tourist to the lake here, and they call me, I need a mikvah for tonight. Where's the mikvah? Can I make an appointment? And I always say to them one question, how brave are you? So I have to take some very brave women right here to these cold waters. And I'm always so in awe of them because I feel like, you know, sometimes it's these like, you know, not such, from women you know it doesn't like some of them tell me yeah, yeah they don't cover their hair or they you know don't necessarily not so you know completely sham shabbos but here they are going to make it's like they're one non-negotiable even in like some cold waters and that lifts me up I'm like you know for us this is like of course we would never think otherwise but these women wow they are going and putting themselves in such a difficult situation. It's just so incredibly inspiring. And I have some sad stories about women who've moved here and used to go to mikveh. I have one woman who moved here several years ago, an Israeli woman, and she has um, phobia of water. So she said, "I used to go in Israel. It was a big deal." And I said, "Oh, we don't have a mikvah yet, but I have some really wonderful friends in Salt so Lake and in Portland, and I'm giving her." And I said, "I'll call them for you, and I'll. They're so nice. They'll help you through your phobia, and we'll work through this." And I called them, and I connected her with them. And sadly, she never went. And now she's had two more kids here without a mikvah. But the good news is that Ritz Hashem, within a few weeks, we are breaking ground for our mikvah, it's taken us 18 years, but this is incredible. We are just so excited to be able to start building a mikvah here. And um, what I'm most excited about is being able to share with others locally and teach them and spread this incredible gift that we have of being able to go to mikvah. Because till now, I have to admit I wasn't so vocal about teaching about mitzvah because I'm like, really? I'm gonna tell somebody to teach them and get them all excited about it and then tell them, oh, PS, you gotta drive like 10 hours. Like, who's gonna wanna do that? So I haven't been so um, so expressive and vocal about the mitzvah mikvah people ask me of course I tell them and I explain and they ask me where do you go and of course I'm always happy to share um and I hope that um it doesn't happen what happened with this lady that I learned with a few years ago who I knew was moving to New York so I thought ah oh, this is my one opportunity she's moving to New York to get married and um at least let me start the journey here. So I said, hey, Jody, can we meet for coffee? And um, we met and we were talking. I said, "Jody, I wanna tell you about something so special for your marriage. And I spoke to our mikvah and I was like, just like so exuberant. Maybe I was just like, like all my exuberance of all the years of not teaching. I was just like so excited to share with her all about mikvah. And then I'm just going on and on and this and that. and And then I'm done. And she looks at me and she says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go to mikveh. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then she says, but one thing I know, you are really passionate about mikveh. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I don't even know what happened to her in the end. I went, I just like called the shalacha who was going to be nearby. I'm not sure she went, but I thought, you know, sometimes that happens. Like, we get ourselves so excited. We know it's so incredible to observe this mitzvah, even with its hardships. But this is this is who we are. This is what we do, no matter what. And so, Imrit Hashem, I hope to be able to um, share this beautiful gift to the people in my community. And I know I need to definitely, thanks to uh, mikvah.org, brush up on my... Um, mikveh teaching skills and take some courses, which I'm excited to do. Um, and I want to tell you, in very human. When I stand there at those waters, even though I'm saying it after the fact, it sometimes takes me a long time to get to that place where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I do it. And I think this is the gift we all have. And it's not just about mikvah. It's really about everything in life. It's those things we know that this is why we're here. This is our vaydah, whatever it is, whether it's with our children, with our spouses, with our mikvah. Baruch Hashem, we've had such um, incredible grounding and chinuch and we have so many amazing role models to give us that focus, that centering, that balance. You could always think, you know, all of us are shluchas, even if we're not officially called a shlucha, all of us have those missions in our lives that we feel like, you know, this is why I'm here. Right now, my, my mission in life, my shluchas in life, is to get the job done no matter what. It's not It's not up for a conversation. And that strength alone is so empowering and so um, is so liberating. And um, with that we'll be able to get all of our conquered and done to the finish line so we can all greet Mashiach proudly, happily, excitedly at the front lines and know that we did our best in whatever our shlichus in our personal lives demanded.
1: Wow, I mean, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for those special encouraging words. to conclude with a clip from a film which is a compilation of beautiful and inspirational stories on mikvah under difficult circumstances you can watch the complete film on our website mikvah.org forward slash media we'll also share a link in the chat before we finish tonight second here
3: Hi, my name is Raisi Mendelson and I'm on Shluchas in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. During the coronavirus, right now, it's a tough time to, a more challenging time for women to go to the mikvah. So I'm going to share with you just a little adventure of our. um, We have many, many mikvah adventures over here. In Jackson, we don't yet have a mikvah. Our closest mikvah is a five hour drive or a plane ride. Uh, five hour drive in each direction. So, using the mikvah many, many times poses some challenges. So, one um, <clears throat> one month years ago, uh, we had our counselors over running our camp, Ghani Straw Camp. We had a huge event going on. My mother was in town and I needed the mikvah. Not such a convenient time to disappear for 24 hours. When I mentioned the idea to my mother that We would be leaving town and leaving her with the kids and the counselors and all that. She uh, being filled with adventure. My mother recommended that we should just use Granite hot springs. Granite hot springs is a gorgeous hot spring. It's about 45 minutes away on a highway and then another 45 minutes on a dirt road. Uh, there you get to the most gorgeous, totally off the grid, no electricity, but a magnificent, magnificent hot spring, uh, hot, gorgeous water coming out of a mountain and out of the side of a mountain pools into a pool. There's a caretaker on the property who every evening at sunset opens up a plug and lets all the water that pooled up flow downstream. He cleans the bottom of the pool, replugs it in. And again, it fills up a new fresh in the morning. So going at ski or at, you know, once it gets dark would not be an option because the pool would then be empty. So we decided we'll leave the house at three o'clock in the morning, get to the hot spring at about 4.30 a.m., giving us enough time to get out before the caretaker would be arriving, we assumed around 9 a.m. So my mother and I put on our jackets. It was the summer, but in the summers by us, it could be about 35, 40 degrees at night. And so we put on our coats and headed into the car. At about 4.30 in the morning, we were about two miles from the hot spring when there was a gate that was closed and locked with a sign that read, no trespassing. Having come so far, and the idea of now driving all the way to Utah or Montana, so not appealing, my mother and I just decided that we were gonna go La River over the fence and hike the rest of the way to the hot spring So my mother clutching the beer spray in case we encountered any unwanted uh visitors along the way Mm -hmm. um we started walking towards the hot spring as we were nearing the hot spring we noticed that there's a hut near the hot spring and there was a car next to it and i realized that the caretaker wouldn't be arriving close to 9 a.m the caretaker was living on the property that we were now trespassing. Now this is Wyoming, where often you'll see signs that say no trespassing, trespassers will be shot, survivors will be shot again, and they're not joking. We were quite nervous, Um, so my mother and I very quietly, we tiptoed past this guy's house and towards the hot spring, There I titled in the most magnificent water uh, being overlooked by my mother in this pristine location amongst mountains and valleys and water that had never touched human hands. It was truly a magnificent and majestical moment. As quickly as we could, I got out of the water, put on our clothes, we tiptoed back. And when we reached the car, We breathed a sigh of relief, happy to be kosher, but more importantly, thankful to be alive. I know this is not an easy time and mikvah, any time can be challenging, but especially when there's so many other challenges going on. May you all be blessed that whatever it is that you need in your life through fulfilling this important, special and incredible mitzvah, may everything uh, be fulfilled and may you only have much braha.
1: Okay, once again, thank you everyone for joining us tonight.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.